Hello everyone, welcome to episode 3 of Cell Phone Talks, where we talk about social and emotional learning. I am your grateful host, Hunter Carithers. You can find links to this podcast as well as my other activities on Instagram at HunterIsGodHop. In last week's episode, we covered the five key competencies that make the cell framework. So if you have been tuning in, you should be getting a clearer understanding of what this subject covers and how it applies. For episode three, I want to take that application a step further and inform you on some of the research that has already been completed today and the benefits that were recorded from that research. First, to sort of preface the research, I want to touch on human nature. Humans are small group beings. For over 200,000 years, humans have lived in small hunting and gathering groups and in small farming communities. All day long, we interact first in one group and then in another, whether it be family circles, friendships, intimate relationships, career groups, and so on. We thrive and learn most optimally in structures such as these. So in regards to social and emotional learning, the development of our interpersonal skills to help us act effectively in these settings is crucial. According to authors Peyton and Elias and others, social and emotional learning may be defined as a mastery and appropriate use of interpersonal and small group skills such as recognizing, managing, and appropriately expressing one's emotions, and b the internalization of pro-social attitudes and values needed to achieve goals, solve problems, become emotionally evolved in learning and work, and succeed in school throughout life. As we have talked about, there are many cell characteristics that are important for student development, such as continuing motivation and behavioral patterns, self-efficacy and employability and success. And these authors go on to explain that the two most important social and emotional competencies are interpersonal effectiveness and actualizing one's potential. Um, so just to kind of give a quick definition to those two um, competencies, interpersonal effectiveness is the degree to which the consequences of a person's behavior and in interacting with others matches that person's intentions. So to simplify, you know, how well is an individual able to make another person receive a message that they're trying to send? Uh, interpersonal effectiveness can be a huge factor in determining the quality and course of one's life. Uh, the second key is self-actualization. Uh, self-actualization is the drive to actualize the potential and take joy and a sense of fulfillment from being all that a person can be. Self-actualization is based on being aware of abilities and talents, applying them appropriately in a variety of situations, and celebrating their successful application. There are numerous effective programs for teaching social and emotional competencies and cooperative experiences are part of the building blocks for each program's success. Since 1897, over 550 experimental 
and 100 correlational studies have been conducted on cooperative, competitive, and individualistic efforts. Now this is not to try and take away from competition. I think in the past and in today's world there is a place for that. Um, but for the purposes of learning effectively, here's a rundown of how cooperation has shown in research greater benefits than the alternatives. And these studies were conducted by a wide variety of researchers in different decades with different age subjects in different subject areas and in different settings. The research participants have varied in their economic class, age, sex, nationality, and cultural background. Um, and really a wide variety of research tasks, ways of structuring cooperation, and measures of the dependent variables have been used. But if you want to take a look into greater depth of how the studies were structured and executed, please take a look at the book, Building Ap Academic Success on Social and Emotional Learning. Uh, this is where I've pulled a lot of the uh, information from in order to uh, create this podcast. And so I'm only going to tell you what the research suggests and simple statements, but also in astounding statements because the research kind of speaks for itself. So, within the research, overall, cooperation tends to promote higher achievement than do competitive or individualistic efforts. Therefore, the use of cooperative learning should dominate instructional practice. Cooperators spent considerably more time on task than did competitors or students working individualistically. In addition, students working cooperatively tended to be more involved in activities and tasks, attach greater importance to success, and engage in more on-task behavior and less apathetic, off-task, disruptive behaviors. Finally, cooperative experiences compared with competitive and individualistic ones have been found to promote more positive attitudes toward the task and the experiences of working on the task, which obviously connects with the notion that we should be focusing less on the expectations of the destination and more on the joy for the process of the journey. You see, within this type of education, you can foster the skills needed to live life effectively. Okay, and the studies went on to prove that cooperation generally promotes greater interpersonal attraction among individuals and greater social support than do the alternatives. In addition to this, authors Montague and Horney stated that a neurotic individual is someone who is inappropriately competitive and, therefore, unable to cooperate with others. And in short, they recognize that the essence of psychological health is the ability to develop and maintain cooperative relationships. More specifically, psychological health is the ability or the cognitive capacities, motivational orientations, and social skills to build, maintain, and appropriately modify interdependent relationships with others to succeed in achieving goals. People who are unable to do these things so often become a depressed, anxious, frustrated, and lonely, b 
they tend to feel afraid, inadequate, helpless, hopeless, and isolated, and C, they rigidly cling to unproductive and ineffective ways of coping with adversity. Finally, there's evidence that cooperation promotes more frequent use of higher level reasoning strategies than do competitive or individualistic efforts. Similarly, cooperation tends to promote more accurate perspective taking than do the alternatives. And in conclusion, the more cooperative learning experiences students are involved in, the more they will tend to take other people's perspectives into account when making decisions. So, moving forward, authors such as Salovey and Mayer proposed a theory of emotional intelligence encompassing four basic abilities, perceiving emotions, understanding emotions, using emotions in thought, and managing emotions. And these authors, along with another, Caruso, developed a test to assess emotional abilities. It's called the Mayer, Salovey, and Caruso Emotional Intelligence Test, or for short, the MSCEIT. This test involves various tasks, including decoding facial expressions of emotion, understanding blends of emotions and emotional dynamics, integrating emotional information with other thinking processes, and managing emotions for purposes of self-regulation and social interaction. A number of studies suggest that emotional intelligence assessed in this way is associated with a range of positive outcomes. Among school children, it was associated with lower peer ratings of aggressiveness and higher teacher ratings of pro-social behaviors. Among teenagers, it was linked to less tobacco and alcohol cons consumption. And among college students, it was related to higher self-reported empathy, relationship quality, and psychological well-being. In a specific case, among leaders of an insurance company's customer claims team, emotional intelligence was linked to higher manager ratings of effectiveness and higher team performance. And that's pretty astounding, um, but in regards to academic achievement, emotional abilities are also important. For example, according to research, perceiving emotions may be important for artistic expression and writing as well as interpreting literature and works of art. Using emotions to facilitate thinking may help students to decide what activities to focus on depending on how they feel. For example, it may be easier to write a creative essay if one is feeling cheerful because positive moods enhance divergent thinking and imagination. And moving forward, you know, negative moods may facilitate careful attention to detail and would be more suitable for doing geometry proofs. So understanding emotional vocabulary and emotional dynamics helps children to develop a good command of language and analyze the characters and plot of a novel. The ability to manage emotions may help students to handle anxiety arousing situations such as taking tests or starting creative projects. So, that is going to wrap up episode 3. 
Next week, I'll get into the discussions being had surrounding the applications involved in actually teaching social and emotional skills. This week's quote is from Franklin D. Roosevelt. Competition has been shown to be useful up to a certain point and no further. But cooperation, which is the thing we must strive for today, begins where competition leaves off. As always, thank you, and please feel free to like, comment, and share this episode, and message me with any questions or thoughts about this podcast. And lastly, when you work to know thyself, you are preparing to know God.